scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I grew up in a more rural area. Uh, There were lots of dirt roads where I grew up, and the houses were fairly spread out. On top of those things, or probably it goes with those things, there wasn't much around Ida, Michigan. In the way of businesses or restaurants or things to keep kids entertained as they got older. So frequently my friends and I would pass the time by driving around looking for things to do. And as you can probably imagine, the things we found weren't always awesome. Uh, A combination of all this left us bored and free to wander into unwatched trouble. Well, one night in particular, I remember a group driving around in two different cars and our our cars got separated and our car went the wrong way. And by the time we realized that, we had stopped and had a choice to make. Could either drive up to the next driveway, wherever that happened to be, or we called it night ridering it, uh, where you would go backwards as fast as you could and then turn the wheel sharply and It just looks really cool on TV and stuff. And so to our minds, this was clearly the way to go, right? Uh, Okay, well, it didn't quite go that way. Uh, We didn't spin at all. We just went straight down into the ditch. And so it's probably a a good time to tell you another geographical feature of uh, my hometown. There were no shoulders, and the ditches were deep. I don't really know why, why we needed Ditches that deep is is beyond me, but that's what they were. And so I remember being backwards, looking at the trees across the street, thinking, this is not good. No cell phones, of course, back then, and it wasn't good. So here's here's the thing. It's kind of a funny, embarrassing story, but um, you don't even know what Knight Rider is, do you? Uh, But... Virtually every aspect of the Christian life is like the roads of my childhood. What do I mean by that? There's a narrow and godly path to walk in faith with deep ditches on both sides. There's one way to get it right that leads to where you ought to be going and trouble on both sides. Uh That's this passage for this morning. That's the heart of this passage. James is calling his readers to remain uh, on a particular stretch of the path of godliness. And to do so, he describes one of the ditches, presumably that his readers had fallen into, in order to help them avoid it or get out of it. And he did so by describing both that ditch and the rightness of the path. Specifically, the heart of this passage is a call for God's people to read God's word, to know God's word, to listen to God's word, to to come to Sunday school and to come to church and listen eagerly and take good notes and press in and to have good quiet times, to know what God's word says, not 
what you think it says or what it might say, but know what it says and then quickly, every time, put it to action. So that's that's James's heart, but he knows that the people that he is writing to were not always doing that. He, he wanted to help them to see that by doing that, by staying on the path that God has given them, it leads to blessing. And while doing so is, is complete foolishness, or by not doing so is complete foolishness. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us to understand, to love, and to obey. God, there's, as always, a lot here. I feel like we get to peel back two or three layers this morning. and. And so I pray that you would fill this room with a people who loves your word, who understands what it is, what a gift that it is, how essential it is to live in this world as we were made to live and with you as we were made to live with you and with each other and the world around us. And your word is life and light and goodness and truth. God, help us to understand it for what it is so that we 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 constantly are seeking to dig deeper and understand more fully in order that we could obey more completely. Please help us with that, even to take one more baby step in that direction this morning. I pray that you would convince every one of us in another, in, in a fuller way that the Bible is your word, that it is what you have said to your people, that it is sufficient to live and every way that you require of us. And it is the only way to know what you require of us. So please help us to take one more step, each one of us, towards understanding and appreciating the Bible for what it is. And then secondly, please let us not leave without a clear and specific application, a way we're going to take what we hear this morning from your word and every time we come to your word and put it into obedience and faith. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you look with me again at the very beginning of this passage, verse 22. Uh, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then this really important clause at the end, deceiving yourselves. So if you've been with us for our time in James, you know that this passage, You can we got this fancy logo up here that Matt made for us. But you know that this passage is the basis for which the title of the whole thing came. In many ways, the overall theme of James is God's word applied, especially in times of hardship. So if you read all of James beginning to end over and over, you'll see that the main thread that runs through all of it is God's word applied. In this sense, walking the road of godliness, that means living as a Christian. To live as a Christian, according to James, in part means clearly and carefully taking in God's word, clearly and carefully taking in God's word, and then responding to it every time as God calls us to. It involves hearing from God and then doing what he says, and in that order, hearing first, doing second. The simple truth James intended to communicate is that God graciously and benevolently benevolently tells us what he means us to do and then expects in the strength that he provides that we will do it. Where our hearts, hear hear this please, where our hearts are rightly tuned, you don't even tune anything anymore. So that's a funny, that's a really good 
what is that? A, a really good phrase. It's a really good concept, but we don't have radios anymore, really, where there's a dial to tune. But, but kids, believe me when I tell you that growing up, there was a radio that had a knob and you would have to turn it just right to get the music to come in, not with static. We don't, you don't have that anymore, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody does that anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is it? What are you talking? What kind of fool, folly is that? But uh, same thing with TVs. I mean, again, like <laughs> tin foil and, and antennas just aren't a thing anymore, but they were. And you had to work to get things tuned just right. So the picture was clear or the sound was clear. Where our hearts are rightly tuned to God in this way, we, we open his word. There's no ignorance. We, we understand what it means. We're not unaware of what God wants from us, and we're not confused by it. We certainly aren't frustrated with it, and not even are we indifferent to it. In every way, we read God's Word, and we have every bit as much commitment to it as God would have us. There's no fear in obedience. There's no fear of what this might mean for our lives. There's no delay in our obedience. We don't wait until a better time. And there's certainly no detour. We don't veer from what God has called us to. That's what we're meant to do when we come to God's Word. That's the nature of it. But grace, of course, none of us are fully tuned this way to God's Word. None of us are. Nor will any of us be perfectly tuned to God's Word like that in this life until we die or until Jesus returns. In fact, it is for that reason that Jesus came to die for us, to pay for our failures, to do what God has made us to do and feel what God has made us to feel and think what God has made us to think and live what God, how God has made us to live. But hear this. One of the, if you, if you got the outline on the back, one of the more important questions you're going to see on there. I don't remember what number it is, but one of the more important questions I really encourage you to wrestle with is, can you carefully and clearly and confidently explain the relationship between obedience to God's word and the Christian life in light of the gospel? If someone were to say to you, hey, wait a minute, I know that I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Does that mean I don't I don't need to obey? Does that mean that obedience is not really all that significant for the life of a Christian? How would you answer them? Could you, could you help explain to them from the Bible the relationship between doing what God says and our salvation? And at least a part of that answer is that Jesus not only came to die for our sins, for our failure to be able to do what God requires, but Jesus also came that we might not merely have our sins wiped out but that we might also be completely renewed. Again, that that won't finish until Jesus returns or we die in our souls. But it begins the moment you place your faith in Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are being renewed. You're already renewed in one sense, and you're being renewed in another. The moment you trust in Jesus, the moment you place your faith in Jesus, begins this, this mysterious combination of God's great work in you in his call on your life to work in him. Read Philippians 2.12 if you want to see a passage that describes that. God is gracious in giving his people the truth that we're meant to hear and the strength that we need to obey it. The path we must walk as Christians, remember there's, there's this path of life 
and goodness and beauty and blessing and then ditches on both sides. The path that we're meant to walk as Christians that James calls us to, that the rest of the Bible calls us to, is one where we receive his grace, listen to his commands, and wholeheartedly live as God calls us to. Okay, get this. One more one more aspect of this road. The simple fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit-empowered obedience is one of the most significant indicators of genuine saving faith. So James says, don't, don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer also. The whole Bible, including James, tells us that this is one of the most significant indicators of whether you're a Christian or not. As Protestants, we're ever mindful and ever careful <clears throat> of ever proclaiming a works-based salvation. But in our mindfulness and carefulness, we must make sure we don't minimize the role that obedience plays in the Bible for every Christian. Do you want to know if your faith is genuine? Do you want to know if you really are a Christian? Over and over and over in God's word, we are taught to look to our obedience, to look to our holiness. Just listen to a few verses. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if your faith is real? How do you know if you really are in Christ? How do you know if on the last day, Jesus will not say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Is what James has in mind. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we are in him, that we are Christians, that we are saved, that our faith is real. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. A little later in First John, by this, it is evident. He's even a little bit more explicit. Who are the children of God and whoever are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, but is of the devil. Matthew seven seventeen, Jesus says, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. John 14, If anyone loves me, let him keep my word. This is Jesus talking. And my Father will love him. And we will, and we, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, does not keep my words. One more, last one, John 15. You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do what I commanded you. In light of James's words and these passages, we would do well, you would do well, to consider carefully your perspective on the relationship between obedience to God and saving faith. If this is this your understanding of what God has called you to and made you for this type of obedience, is this your understanding of what constitutes the Christian life is hope in God, carefully giving yourself to the word of God and then walking in faith? Is that your understanding? Is that your eager aim? Is that what you're striving for? Is that what makes up your day? Is your life characterized by striving for glad-hearted obedience to the will of God in light of the saving work of Jesus on your behalf? If not, and this is the last clause in this verse, James says, as do John and Jesus in the passages we just read, you're deceiving yourself. 
You're lying to yourself. You're tricking yourself. About what? You're deceiving yourself. If you look back, if you have your Bibles at verse 18, you're deceiving yourself that you have been brought forth by the word of truth. Because for those who have been brought forth by the word of truth, the Spirit empowers obedience. You're deceiving yourself that you have genuine saving faith in Jesus. You cannot be characterized by fightless disobedience, by not fighting against your disobedience and and growing in obedience and have any legitimate confidence in the authenticity of your faith. That's the message of the Bible. If you don't understand what that means for your life and in your particular situation, would you come talk to us later? We want to help you with that. Okay, so that's the the path that we're meant to walk. So again, James wants to help us walk that. And to do that, he describes one of the two ditches that you might fall into. He wanted to help his readers and tell them what's at stake and and the dangers that that they're to avoid, the ditches to avoid. He helped them by stating this aspect of God's will plainly, but also he wanted to help them understand a little bit more. So let's talk about the ditches. He mentions two, or he mentions one, but I want to talk about first the one he didn't talk about. This is the doer's only ditch. The ditch he mentions is the hearer's only ditch. But I want to tell you a little bit about the doer's only ditch. This ditch is most often found by those who stop after James's first three words in verse 22. But be doers. If you just stop there, you're likely to fall into the doer-only ditch. People who stop there act as if James didn't have anything specific in mind for them to do. As if James intended to leave it up to them to decide what they might be doers of. As if James didn't write the next three words, be doers of the word as well. For them, godliness is like the Nike slogan, just do it whatever it might be. God's people have always been vulnerable to this ditch, Grace Church. Perhaps the most pointed biblical example is 2 Samuel 6, 5-7. If you remember the context at all, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they had some problems with it. And so the Israelites got it back and were bringing it back to Jerusalem. And so Dave, King David, along with 30,000 Israelites, were were bringing the ark on a cart pulled by oxen back back to Jerusalem. And here's the passage. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry. They got the, the ark back, and they were glad about that. They were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassinets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it for the oxen, the the cart, the oxen were pulling a cart. The ark was on the cart. The oxen stumbled, and this man named Uzzah reached out his hand, put it on the ark. Well, because of that, verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down, killed him right there because of his error, and he died beside the ark of God. This might seem like an overreaction on God's part. But it perfectly illustrates the fact that God is not interested in doers only, people who make up their own doing. On the surface, think about this for a second, Uzzah's doing makes sense, doesn't it? The oxen stumbled, so he put out his hand to keep the ark from falling to the ground. 
How how could he have just stood by and watched this holy thing fall onto the earth? Common sense says that it would have dishonored more to have this touch the ground than to have him steady it, doesn't it? Well, common sense never trumps God's clear commands. God had explicitly forbidden the Israelites from touching the ark. And it's an interest. like if you want to read more about this, they broke all kinds of commands, actually, by doing what they were doing. God, God had explicitly forbidden the Israelites from touching the ark. And consistent with that command, he had ordered the ark designed in a certain way. There were rings on the side for poles to go through. And whenever it needed to be moved, there were all kinds of things they needed to do to move it. And they were meant to carry it on the poles, not not touch it or hold it, and not put it on a cart and have it pulled by oxen. They, they had done all kinds of things wrong to put Uzziah in the lose-lose, Uzzah, in the lose-lose situation where he acted as a doer and not a hearer by touching the ark. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were an unfortunate example of this as well. You think about missions, or you think about going to tell people about God, and you think, well, that's a good thing, right? Well, Jesus harshly rebuked them for being doers only when he said, Woe to you, scribes! Woe to you, Pharisees! You're hypocrites! You travel across both land and sea to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of the devil as yourselves. They worked hard at making people in their own image instead of God's, at converting them to their own way instead of the way that God had given them. People of this mindset don't make up a small percentage of the church today, of people who profess to be Christians today. There are many who work fervently, sometimes at great cost to themselves, doing what seems like godliness to them. Their standard, though, is little more than their own sense of things, like Uzzah, the Pharisees. Sincere as they might be, God is not honored. Do you remember this, Grace? God is not honored when his people aren't doers of the things he has commanded. And he is not honored when his people are doers of things he hasn't commanded, even if we do it under the self-styled banner of God. We are not at all exempt from this temptation here. It happens every time any of us, anyone in our church, busies themselves with something apart from discipleship, apart from the glory of God, doing it for the glory of God. God hasn't called us to be busy around the church with religious-seeming programs or events. He has called us to make disciples of all nations for his glory. Likewise, people at Grace fall into this doer-only ditch every time we build a house or meet some physical need in a manner disconnected from the gospel. The service God calls us to, and he calls us to be servants, is always evangelistic service. God's people, us at Grace Church, we end up in this ditch every time we do the work of Bible study without rightly understanding the Bible. We fall into it every time we seek justice or reconciliation, which are buzzwords in our society today, in ways not prescribed by God. James has called the people of God to listen carefully to the word and then obey it, sometimes bravely when their circumstances call for it. This the, the the first ditch, the ones he didn't direct the one he didn't directly mention here is the ditch, the doer only ditch. So being doers of our own will instead of God's. 
it seems that James's readers weren't struggling with this so much. So again, he didn't seem or feel compelled to address it directly, but it is every bit as dangerous and foolish as the one he did mention. So let's turn our attention to that one now. The, the second ditch is the hearer-only ditch. It's the one he was most determined to help his readers understand and avoid or perhaps get out of. The context of verse 22 suggests that his readers were familiar with God's will for them. There were things James still needed to teach them, which is why he wrote the letter, but it seems his bigger concern was that they would put those things into practice, not that they lacked them to begin with. Their main problem wasn't a shortage of the knowledge of the will of God, but a shortage of application of it in the midst of their trials. They knew what God wanted them to do. They just weren't doing it. They were hearers only. Well, to help him, to help his readers understand what he meant by this and the seriousness of falling into this ditch, James gave them one reason to avoid it and one reason to stay on the right road. The reason to avoid the ditch was folly. There are plenty more reasons to avoid the hearer-only ditch, but the one he chose to highlight here is that it is absolute foolishness to go into it, to hear the word of God and fail to obey it. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like this weirdo who looks into a mirror, who looks intently at his natural face, and then looks away. As he goes away, he forgets what he would look forgets what he looks like. Just think of the silliness of this situation, Grace. Mirrors were a little different back then. They were polished metal rather than this crystal clear glass that we're familiar with. And they were less common back then. Not everyone had one or ten in their house. But it's almost certain that every one of James's readers would have had the opportunity on a number of occasions to see themselves in some type of mirror to know what they looked like. It would have been entirely inexplicable for someone in their situation to just completely blank on what their appearance was. But James says it was more ridiculous than that still. As, as weird as that would have been, it was weirder still. To help his readers understand that it is well beyond ordinary weirdness, strangeness, folly, to be a hearer and not a doer of God's word, he compared them not to someone who just, like, Almost everybody had a chance to see themselves in a mirror a few times, but someone who was staring intently at themselves. The, the word that is used it doesn't necessarily come through in the translation, but it's a, it's a studying of yourself. You're, you're looking at a mirror, you're studying yourself, turn your back, and then forget all that you had ever seen and all that you just saw. It's almost impossible to imagine what kind of thing could explain such a, an experience. And so here's the question that I want you to ask yourself, kids especially. If you grew up in a Christian home, this is tricky. Listen to this. Why is hearing God's word and then failing to put it into practice this foolish? Why is it that foolish? So James is saying it's like looking and studying yourself in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you look like. Why is being a hearer only but not a doer that kind of foolishness? The answer is tied to the nature of God's word. To understand what we have when we receive the word of God is to realize that it is a million times more foolish when God's people have it and fail to obey it than it is to forget ourselves, what we look like immediately after seeing our reflection in a mirror. Well, the last 
The last verse in our passage this morning is meant to help us understand the nature of the word that makes it so foolish to have it and forget it. What is the nature of God's word? Look at verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So the one who looks into a mirror and forgets himself is silly. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you see how he describes the word of God? It is the perfect law, the law of liberty, that which causes the one who obeys it to be blessed in his doing. Kids, that might not sound awesome. You hear the law, that's kind of doesn't seem all that awesome. You hear liberty, I don't even, I'm not even sure what that means. Probably heard that in school at some point. The law of liberty, the perfect law. Perfect sounds kind of cool, right? But 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 if I were to say to you, I have the greatest thing you've ever imagined. I have it for you. It's a gift, kids. I'm about to give it to you. And it's it's a law. You think what? Maybe you're expecting some candy or a pony or a puppy, maybe or who knows. But you're probably not expecting me to say I've got a bunch of rules for you. Uh, rules of liberty, perfect rules. That's probably not what you're expecting. If the spectacularness of those claims, the perfect law, the law of liberty, that which causes the one who obeys to be blessed in his doing, if the spectacular nature of those claims is not already obvious, think about those with me for just a minute. It is the law. We're accustomed to imperfect laws. We're, we're accustomed to laws that may be more or less just, more or less benevolent more or less designed to help certain people and not others. But it is the law. It is a description of what God demands and prohibits. That doesn't sound all that exciting yet either, does it? But listen, kids, the one who made you loves you. The one who made you loves you. And he loves you enough to help you see exactly what you were made for, exactly what he designed you to be exactly how he designed you to live so that you can experience the fullness of life. That's what God's laws are. The laws of our land aren't always that. In fact, sometimes they're rarely that. But the law of God comes from the love of God to you to tell you exactly what's safe and dangerous, exactly what's helpful and hurtful, exactly what's healthy and what will make you sick. It's designed to help you see exactly what you were fo- made for and how you are to live, exactly what who you are. It is perfect. It is the law, and it is perfect. That is, it has no errors. It has no shortcomings. There is nothing else that you will ever encounter that is worthy of your complete trust. Nothing. Even even your best friends. Think of the friend you have in your life that you're closest to, that you know wants good things for you. That's great, but they're not perfect. They're not entirely trustworthy. God's word alone is, it will never lead you astray. It is the law, it is perfect, and it is liberty. That is, it is the one and only path to true freedom. This world is filled This room is filled with people who know the weight of guilt, who know the weight of shame, who know the weight of sickness and failure, who know the weight of sin. In this way, 
This world is filled with people who, whether they realize it or not, or know that's what this is or not, are enslaved. God's word offers it is the one true source of freedom or liberty liberty from every shackle, from everything that would hold you down and in, in bondage. It is freedom. It is liberty from all of that in Christ. And it is blessing. That is, it is the one and only path to fullness of life. Everyone, every single person. Would you remember this? Again, kids, you got to get this. You don't know this yet, but I'm going to tell you this. Remember this. Every single person, including you, I don't care if you're two or if you're 20 or some other age, every single person is on a quest for the same thing, for significance and satisfaction. The only questions are, where are you looking for it? Where are you looking for it? And will you find it when you get there? Those are the only questions because everyone is doing this. Everyone is looking for significance and satisfaction We're just looking for it in different places. And what James is saying is that only one leads to true blessing, to true significance and satisfaction. That is the word of God. So do you see why it is such folly to be a hearer only? It's like being given a treasure map to the greatest treasure the world has ever known and putting it on your wall to be displayed, but never going to find the treasure. It's folly. It's foolish. Do you see why it is more foolish to have access to the perfect law of liberty and blessing and not obey it than to look at your reflection in the mirror and immediately forget your own face? Grace, it is hard to overstate the simple fact that obeying God's word is the only thing that makes sense. It is the only perfect and liberating guide to everlasting blessing, and it is the only true path to life and joy and satisfaction and forgiveness and fellowship and growth. Far from the cold. When I was a kid, it was cold. We had one somewhere in our house, but it was in translated in ways that just were seemed goofy to me. Far from the cold and outdate list of rules that would keep me from doing the things I really wanted to do, James helps us to see clearly that, that, that God's word and obedience to it is not only necessary, but it is an awesome, awesome gift. All right, before I've got a really short conclusion. Before we get there, I want to give you two things, two practical things. It's a real problem when God's people either don't have or choose to ignore God's word, but still claim to work for God. If you don't have God's word, you can't claim to work for God. That's They've fallen into the doer-only ditch. And it is another problem when people have God's word, but choose not to put it into practice. That's the hearer-only ditch. But again, before... Before the conclusion, I want to make two practical observations to help us avoid these ditches in in our context. First, it is often a right impulse that leads us to either ditch. It is often, for us, a right impulse that leads us into either of those ditches. It is right to want to quickly do things to honor God. It's right to be inclined towards obedience, to to going out there and helping the hurting and helping those who are struggling and, and just get to the doing. There's a good impulse that wants to get quickly to doing things. Many of you 
have that impulse. <laughs> Many of you are just a little tired of talking and talking about all the fine points of doctrine, and let's just get to it already. Well, it's a it's a good impulse to want to get quickly. There, there's a another right impulse to want to carefully understand the Word of God, to make sure that we're getting it right so that we don't run into a building well-intentioned, but misguided and dangerously. There's another impulse to want to carefully understand the Word of God. Well, by God's design, again, this room is filled with people who are more naturally inclined to one of those two impulses. Rather than being a source of contention, as it can be sometimes, these two groups with these two God-given inclinations are meant to work together to keep us out of each ditch. I love that there are more doer-inclined people in this room. I'm, I'm more of a, a hearer-inclined. I, I want to think and mull and, and press in and, and make sure I've got it all right. And so I love that there are people in this room who say, okay, yeah, that's great, but let's do. Let's do this. Let's make sure that we're not, the, the phrase is, a, what is it? Paralysis by analysis. Let's, let's not be so concerned with getting a, a, a fifth degree of this command right that we fail to start immediately doing the first degree, which we all agree on. I, I hope you all feel the same way, the same way as well, maybe in reverse. You, you doers, I hope you can feel, especially from us elders, glad, glad pulling back a little bit as you start to veer towards the the other ditch. Hopefully you feel us pulling you back, even as we feel you pulling us forward into obedience. Here's the second thing, practical observation. Again, kids, if you grew up in a Christian home, or if you've been in a church for a long time, especially Grace Church or any church that takes God's word seriously, I know as a church as a whole, we are more vulnerable to falling into the hearer-only ditch. We, we take God's word seriously. We want to get it right. We want to study it carefully. We must be especially careful, therefore, to remember that there is a significant difference between knowing what God's word says about evangelism, for instance, and actually sharing the gospel with someone who is not a Christian. There's a big difference between knowing all that the Bible says about all that God requires about evangelism and actually doing the work of evangelism. Likewise, there's a giant chasm between well-versed in the Bible's teaching on orphan care, which we're going to come to next week in James, and truly making a difference in an orphan's life. It's one thing to know what holiness is according to the Bible, and it's another thing to fight in the power of the Holy Spirit for purity. We might know everything there is to know about loving one another, but not have one ounce of actual love in our hearts. They're they're very different things, and we need to be really careful as a church that prioritizes the Word of God the way we do. All right, so here's my conclusion. What follows in the coming verses in James, uh, the rest of the letter in many ways, are many, many descriptions, examples, and commands detailing what James had in mind. These are the things that we're meant to hear. So if we're going to not be hearers only, but doers only, we need to first, or, but doers also, we need to first hear so that we can do what follows in James are the things we're meant to hear in order to do. The very next passage again, for instance, calls all of God's people to care for, not just care about, the vulnerable among us, widows and orphans in particular. Grace by God's grace, let us listen carefully to his word. 
Let us, let us be around people who have been given the gift of studying and, and discerning God's word, if you're a doer especially. Talk to them, listen to them. And then if, you're a, if, if that's your gift, be around people who are more inclined to do. Get together. Make, make sure that the people in your DG who are inclined both ways have a voice and that you're encouraging one another. But let us be ever-improving hearers. Let us take in the word. Let us be ever-improving hearers. But let us also, by the grace of God, press in together for ever-increasing obedience. Let us continually encourage one another to put God's word into practice, not in the way of cold, calculated submission, but in the way of perfect, liberating, blessing, glad-hearted obedience for the glory of God. This is James' charge to us, and it is my charge to you, Grace Church. As those who have been given new life in Christ and the empowering indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, let us be not hearers only, but doers also.